Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their origins up through their current depictions in popular culture and everything in between. Or that's the goal and sometimes we go a little astray, but that's all right. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm joined today by Leonard. Hello. He's here, the man. The yes. Myth, the legend. Left. Yep, that's that's me. That I'm all of those things. Uh, judging by my popularity metrics on uh, uh, hit sites such as Twitter and YouTube, I am super influential and and absolutely taken seriously. He's a mover and shaker and an influencer. He makes all yeah. the money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's he's well known within our circle, and that's all that matters. <laughs> that is actually all that matters. That's all that matters. People out there love you, Leonard. It's all right. I know. I know. Oh, it's fine. It's I. Yeah. 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 I'm a okay. <laughs> uh, it will be just us two today. Uh, this is an. It's, it's it's an other week, not an off week. It's just an other week, and Cameron is busy elsewhere, so he will theoretically be back next week. We'll see, depending on his internet connection, because that's been a thing. Um, because everybody's on the internet. Everyone's using up all the bandwidth. It's just running dry. Yeah, it's almost as if our in- infrastructure hasn't kept pace with the number of people that need to use it. But that would be crazy. Enough yeah. about the enough, but but enough about the monsters of our everyday lives. Yes, just because we're having an existential crisis doesn't mean we can talk. We can't talk about other existential crises. Crises, because we found some. Yes, uh, yes, we are continuing further. Our further delve into the Legativerse. Um, in fact, this portion here. We'll wrap up the section in Grimm's Scribe that was known as The Voice of the Damned. And we will cover the tale Nethiscurial shortly. But first, we're going to take a look at another terrifyingly apocalyptic tale. This one in film form. It is the 1985 film Demoni, or Demons, as it uh, is known outside of Italy. Uh, It was directed by Lamberto Bava, and the writing credits are shared. um, A nice little cross-section here. So we have Dardano Sacchetti and uh, Dario Argento, who folks may have heard of before. And also Franco Ferrini, who I'm not aware of, but he's there too, so we would be remiss not to mention. Um, Leonard, was this the first time you watched this film? Yes. Yes, it was. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a cult classic. I can, uh, I can, <laughs> I can see that. I can, I can tell watching. Yes. Um. Part and parcel of that is the level of um, practical effects and violence and gore um, that this film eclipses with its not terribly fast pace. Um, Unfortunately, that would be the bit that did not age well. The movie kind of goes a little slow in the first, like, third 
or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little, a little, a little slippy. Even I, who have seen this before, had to, like, I, I skipped bits, but I've seen it a bunch of times, so it's like, we're just gonna, yeah, we know what's going on here. We'll just go to the good, we'll just get to the good parts. Um, I'm, I'm here for monsters, not for boring people in a theater. Um, that's too much real life. And none of the rest of it was. So that's, it's all good. This film is, um, it's the, the adventure of, uh, Cheryl, who is a, theoretically, I think she's an American student studying in Italy. Um, the entire film, I think in most versions are, is entirely dubbed. Um, in, in yes. English, that's just going to be how it's generally found. Uh, everyone's dubbed, even the people that were speaking English, because that, that's just how Italian filmmaking works. It's all done in, po- in post. They just redub everything every every time, every way, um, because all of the um, sound work is done in camera. So you're not able to generally hear the actors' lines as they're speaking them because all of the explosions and everything else going on is also being recorded like as it happens. So they have to go back through and redub the the voice work. Just useless trivia that now we all know. Um, ADR, listen, ADR... ADR, people who do ADR are still working today and working quite frequently. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But, um, yeah, so everyone is is, is speaking in English, although they are clearly, most of them, um, most of the cast is Italian actors and actresses, um, and they're, some of them are speaking in Italian, some of them are, I think they're reading their lines in English, but it's, it's, it's not going to sync up to the the post the post yeah um yeah that's part of the charm of the film and of everything else in the genre and multiple other genres of italian cinema in the 70s and 80s and slightly before then um that's neither here nor there uh so we have cheryl she is with her 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 best friend um hannah i believe uh, Kathy. and was it Kathy? Wasn't it Kathy? Hannah? Kathy? Maybe it's Kathy. I mean, her best friend. Yes, yes, her it is. Best it is yes, her be- I, I got it now. I can see the correct screenshot here. Um, yes, this is Kathy, her best friend who she would never leave alone in danger. Um, we're going to be ascribing a, uh, some character traits to to characters in 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 this movie that that um that they probably don't have because they're we're gonna be perfectly honest there isn't a lot of characterization they're, in this film they're vaguely archetypes and even that's kind of giving some of it too much credit but it's fine they're in service of the plot and the plot is just destruction so we'll we'll probably dispense with names as well because it's for one very hard to tell and very few of the characters were given like recognized names inside of the film yes um yes i gave up on names like 
35 minutes into the movie. I was like, yep, yeah, okay. I, yep. Yeah. So our, our core group is, um, basically it's George, Cheryl, uh, Ken, and Kathy. Buff man one, slightly skinnier man two, and then our two leading ladies. American girl and Italian girl. We're not going to go with those titles, actually. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> it, it's 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 Cheryl, Kathy, yeah. George, and Ken. Yes. Thankfully, we have their names. It's fine. So, Cheryl, uh, she arrives on a train into the city. Um, she's come from somewhere else. Doesn't matter. Uh, but immediately upon reaching the station, she is... Um, well, she, the, the, no one else disembarked at the place she got off of. So she's kind of stranger in a strange land, justifiably scared because this is like 1980, something early 80s Italy. Um, and she thinks she's being followed. Uh, however, surprise, it is actually um, a, a promotional offer of a, a ticket to a mysterious... Um, unnamed film premiere and we find yep. out that several other people have received the same offer she she grabs an extra ticket for her her best friend and they decide to cut class um and go see a movie instead because they're upset with like the particular teacher they're just not having it and they're gonna go watch a movie instead and hope it's not a horror movie Ta-da. it's a horror movie But I think it would have been better had it not been a horror movie. And just shenanigans happened anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just wish that the horror movie had been better. The horror movie inside of the horror movie. The movie within the movie was pretty terrible. It was um, really, yeah. So I guess to set that stage, because it is important, um, sort of. The movie within the movie uh, is about four college students, probably college students, um, exploring a ruins uh, in the countryside. And they are searching for the grave of Nostradamus. Because everyone knows that Nostradamus is buried in this ruin that no one's ever found. And was also some sort of fortune teller. That that's quoted verbatim from the film. Yes. Now this is this film is as we mentioned from 1985. So Nostradamus was a known figure, but not as enmeshed in popular culture as he has become. Uh, some of his uh, more interpretive uh, predictions, I think, are familiar. They would be more familiar looking back on this film than if you were to have been watching this in 1985. Um, is my understanding of it. So he was way more mystical sounding in in this film than mm-hmm. he, if you tried to do that setup today, it would be silly. Er, than it <laughs> yeah. was in this. Yes. 
Like this felt okay. I mean, that part was like, all right, okay, I get it. That's that's fine. Um, they they find um, it could have been Nostradamus. The the crypt, the little um, the tomb they find is uh, the it is decayed. It is ancient. Um, the the carving of the name upon it is almost illegible, but it's just enough to sound out bits of the name and go, it's probably Nostradamus. Um, however, inside this this dusty, decrepit uh, tomb uh, is, in fact, a, a book, which is remarkably in good shape and not immediately powdering uh, when you touch it, uh, yes. and a, a satchel. Uh, also, I guess it's, maybe it's just a covering, but... Um, Another bit of cloth uh, that, again, probably should also be falling apart, but we don't know when it was put in there. Uh, and it has a mask inside of it. The The book um, helpfully tells you that do not put the mask on or you will be, um, I almost said infested, you will be possessed by a demons and they will be released upon this earth to, do you have the, do you remember the quote, Leonard? Oh, I do not. Uh, it's something to effect of your cities will be their churches and or the ah the, uh, your your uh graveyards your graveyards will be our churches and your cities are your cities tombs your cities okay. turned into your tombs something like that there we go yeah yes it, it it's it's nice it's a nice little touch um but it's directly um in the book and there's a wonderful picture of the mask. Um, engraving in there and it's definitely says do not put it on you will be possessed by demons and of course our good old college buddy decides i'm gonna put this on my face and go boogity boogity yeah for like um, really long time uh, but he does he, he takes the mask off it something in there cuts him a little bit on his face it's a little tiny scratch and it's just uh, it's just a scratch don't worry about it um, you should probably get that looked at, and you need to yep. have get it looked at like immediately. And it doesn't matter anyway because you are now cursed by the mask or the demons in the mask, or we don't know the demons in the cemetery. They're just everywhere. Demons. Yep. Bad. And also, uh, to be perfectly honest, demons are just kind of analogs for zombies. <laughs> mm, yeah, they're. I think they're a little bit more than that in this. Yeah, um, I would I, say I, that I, they're they're the anal the the analog part would be that they are spread like a sickness. So, in this film, in general, uh, if you are directly wounded um, by a demon, you the the. The demonic possession has now been spread to you. Uh, you are also irrevocably, you're a demon. Good luck. You got about three minutes left, <laughs> or so, uh, or, or or less, or more, <laughs> or more. It's it's um whatever fits the plot and is yep. most most effective for this the scare. Uh, but nevertheless, your fate has been sealed. You cannot be, um, bitten, scratched, clawed, uh, drooled on, um, in any bodily contact more than, like, just touching you, um, is going to turn you into a demon. 
So, of course, it spreads very fast. It's very voracious. Um, the demon transformations are not completely similar. Um, you will be your own personal demon. You won't be like the other ones, just in, in manner rather than appearance, uh, which is a nice touch. It's, it's a good flexing uh, for the makeup department, for one, and the puppet department, for one. But... Um, it's not a wholesale like you're just a zombie thing. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you have uh, some kind of intelligence. Uh, your your personal you is gone. You are now just the demon. Um, there's no the, your, the the light of humanity has fled your eyes to be replaced by the glowing flashlight orbs of demonhood. It's a good touch. Yeah. Yes, yes. The glowing eyes. Very good touch. Yes. Because demons should have glowing eyes. You get glowing eyes in the darkness, and you get um, probably horribly uncomfortable uh, red bloodshot, orange bloodshot kind of contacts. Um, yes. Otherwise, in the light. And you get uh, infected looking like veins crisscrossing your skin. Yeah. And sometimes you lose all your teeth and they're replaced by fangs. There's a lot there's a lot going on. They 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 have fun with all the various demon transformations. So back to the point. Um the movie within the movie uh kind of culminates we we're seeing like I don't know, thirty minutes of it, even though it's compressed in, in like little bits. But um yeah, the 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 demonic um, possession spreads to all the the four of the members um, or the four kids, and uh, th that's all we get to see of it, basically, because we're interrupted. Um, as I mentioned, there's a this is a it's not a private screening; it's just a surprise screening. Uh, it's one. This theater has one. It's, it is one theater, one big screen. Um, there may be more in there. We can, we don't get to see that, but it's uh, it's this, this old theater that has um, it's been uh, empty for years and it's just like surprise reopened, and it has mm -hmm. one single employee, um, one one usherette. This is Ingrid. Yes, uh, the Emerald Herald. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And she takes all the tickets. She's like also this is old school theater. Um so she's being an usher during the film and flashlighting and making sure everyone's not um getting up to shenanigans. They're just properly watching the film. Uh there's no smoking in the theater, which was refreshing to see, even though they're gonna smoke anyway. And we are treated to a kind of um, small introductory segment for each of the the general main cast members, or at least ones that get a little bit more screen time. Um, every, everyone gets their own little introduction. It's not like a super huge, like, it's not 50 people. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like 20 uh, that are watching this film. And we, we kind of get little, uh, all of their personalities as such as that they are given are kind of on, on show, um, as yeah, they yes. file into the theater and as they kind of sit and talk amongst each other, um, 
we have uh, this is mm, I guess not it's kind of most notably um, is our boy Tony he is he is a, he's a pimp and he has his two ladies with him and they're just they're there to have a good time and watch a film and to uh, smoke in the theater when you're not supposed to uh, and more importantly um, to put on briefly a, a prop that is out in the lobby there's a, a wonderful um, the best apparently uh, dirt bike with a samurai <laughs> guy with 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 a ninja with a ninja dummy riding it yeah (laughs) yes um we won't see that again uh and holding um this this replica of the movie mask that we see in the film well one of tony's ladies decides to put on the mask because it's funny and she gets a little cut and that won't come back we won't see that again Nothing bad happens when you put on a mask and get a little cut. So as the movie progresses, um, she finds out that, yes, the cut she has on her face is starting to bleed again. So she she excuses herself um, to the, the restroom to, to tend to her little wound. Um, doesn't go so well. Nope. Uh, yeah. Well, we will leave it at the wound. Um, explodes violently as a pustule coating everything in green goo she also begins to vomit forth green goo that'll be a recurring theme when you're demonized you are filled with green goo and angry you're filled with angry a lot of that yes so we know that yeah this is the the start of the demonic plague um is is from this this, this cut uh, it's echoing the movie quite clearly the the film sort of reaches some sort of reaches like a crescendo um in the film within the film i should say um things are going crazy the audience is both hating and loving the the thing and they're all scared and it's really funny because the movie they're watching is bad <laughs> but um they're they're selling uh at least that they're terrified of this film uh i i feel bad because i do not have the names of these two ladies in this oh uh rosemary is the name of the lady that went into the restroom okay i see it now jaretta jaretta or Jota Giancarlo. So Rosemary and then her friend. I don't have that. It could be Ruth. I don't know how they organize this cast list. But uh, yes. So. Yeah, I don't see your friend. But um, her friend goes to check on her. Uh, finds her in a terrible state. And is chased as one as one does when they're being chased by demons, you run and hope not to get um, mauled. She gets a bit of a scratch. It'll also be okay. Everyone will be okay. Mm. Uh, she also we get, gets a... <clears throat> well, oh. we, do, we do get the fun, like she 
gets lost in like the back stages of the theater, like in the employee section, and she gets eventually behind the screen, which is great. It's a great um, stage piece. Because as the as the high as the climax is happening on the screen, um, she is falling victim to her wounds um, that Rosemary has given her, and she's pressing against the screen, yeah, and screaming as the same time the the audio in the the movie theaters is is having screams across it, so. It's like a one-two punch. The audience does not like this. Uh, She eventually rips through the screen and collapses on the stage. And everyone realizes, okay, it's not not part of the show. um, Because Tony is also concerned and runs up. And she's very um, obviously bleeding and in in pain. And this just kicks off. We're just going to cut to the chase. This kicks off the entirety of the um patrons uh, one by one basically being infected because as we said it just takes a scratch yep you're you're done um and then uh she immediately transforms uh everybody flees and, and tries to leave the theater only to uh, rip and tear at the door and discover doors and discover that uh, there is nothing but a cement wall behind them. Uh, as, as they've been sealed into the building. Uh, when when I started this movie, I said, "Oh, it's Italian horror from the eighty from the mid eighties." I'm just going to have to accept the level of dreamlike logic. Uh, with with it, and be prepared for that. So when when there were just no more doors, I said, "All right, this is where I start settling in for." I don't get to question anything, the logistics of anything that happens moving forward. Yes, it's best to go into this movie with that mindset. Um, it yeah. helps. Uh, I think it's effective. It's effective uh, horror when the logic of the world is kind of thrown out the window, which you mm-hmm. sort of have to do because of Stevens. But uh, right. for the characters, it's very effective because it sends them into like a crazy panic. Um, I never enjoy when people are scraping at something and their fingernails come off, but that's what we get here. Nope. So yep. be forewarned that there is some finger self gouging on accident because of fright. Um, they decide to try to think of the temporal order of things. Uh, I think they walled themselves in. No, the first they decide to go try to stop the film. Yes. Because they decide that the film is what's evil and has cursed everything. Which is, which is logical. That makes sense. Given that they saw the mask in the movie and then they saw the mask here and something's up with that. The, the rosemary was scratched just like in the movie so therefore the movie is what's doing this and they break into the projector room to find out it's all automated there is no staff there uh they successfully 
destroy the projector. Uh, this does zero. Um, other than now, there was potentially a fire, but that didn't happen. Um, and then they barricade themselves on the upper balcony of the theater, because this is like a like a, one where you could go watch a play or something. It's a more of a massive um, theater than just a general movie one. Um, yep, they're they're barricaded in. Uh, everyone's freaking out. There was there was a lot of other stuff that happened that basically sets up uh, the demons being able to get up into the balcony um, through means other than the door. It's not hyper important and kind of nice to see without it being spoiled. So we'll we'll leave that just to know that the demons can get up into there. Uh, they also um, elect because they barricaded themselves in with um, the, the the rows of seating blocking the doors. They need a way out. It's not safe to stay mm. up on the balcony. They go through the wall after some attempts to yes break the masonry with odds and ends they break the wall into the back spaces of the theater and this is probably my favorite part it has nothing to do with monsters however it has everything to do with that um that dreamlike structure of um it's like a maze but one without an uh, an end So there's rows and rows of all these other doors that basically lead to empty rooms, but culminate in a bricked, um, it's not an abattoir, it's just a weird room that has no exit, and it's just these high brick walls. Yes, and a support beam in the middle. Yes, which is excellent because it, it, it allows them and the camera to kind of play around and make the f space feel like it's far larger and far more ominous, yet there's no way out of it. Uh, I would say the one detriment to this is uh, all of the ladies start screaming. Yeah. And it's a little much because they don't stop screaming for quite a while. They're just screaming about being trapped in a an endless brick room. It's like, I'm and the, and, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, that's a horrible situation, but it's just stop screaming. Yeah. Yeah. One of one just sets the rest of them off. And I'm just like, ah, uh, Oh, 1985. I, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, and that, and that's that is one of the detriments of the entire. I think the film as an entirety is with the well, pretty much every woman in this is like their agency is kind of curtailed. Yeah, it it's it it's there's there's um some some hard giallo DNA throughout yeah. this entire film. Yeah, so th those parts. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of what's going to happen in in this genre of film uh it is subverted sometimes we do get subversions in other um argento films and other directors where the um the main protagonist has the most agency and they generally are are female so mm -hmm. uh usually if they don't end up being murdered um very quickly uh they, they'll probably make it out um unscathed and may have defeated the uh, the evil uh, or the villain in over the course of the film 
We'll see how this one turns out. But, uh, yep, they, they cannot go that way. So they go back into the... I think this is where it starts to break down, because they go back into the um, balcony and get attacked. And Yep. They're, they've walled themselves in. They can't. The one escape route they had is a dead end, so there's just kind of nowhere to go other than to crawl back through all these chairs they piled up. And that's that's always yeah. the problem of making huge barricades is a lot of times you have to kind of like unmake them very fast, which means that they're not Perfect. effective. So you've just kind of trapped yourself in a small spot usually. Right. And almost everyone gets gets infected at this point. Yes, except for 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 our our main yeah, our four main cast members uh, are random uh, Ripper's crew. So Ripper, uh, uh, yeah. who it's, it's Ripper. It is Nina. Uh, oh, is it Nina? It's Nina. Yes, it is. Nina. Hot dog and the other guy. I don't know. Something Ooh. pig? Little I think pig? it's baby, baby, baby pig. There we go, baby pig. Yep. So Ripper, baby pig, um, Nina, and hot dog. All yes. All very stand-up young citizens. Uh, they're they're cruising around, um, snorting coke, as you do from a coke can. From a coke can. So they're just super on the nose or in the nose, as the case may be, uh, yep. in a stolen vehicle. Um, and they serve like zero plot oh, these, purpose. These characters, these characters exist to enable the the director to film scenes to pad out this movie. Yeah, it's it's very bad. They don't work. <laughs> they don't no. add anything to the film. Um. They also don't live very long. <laughs> like they, they um, show up and I, then they get killed. I I distinctly remember that when we cut away from the theater to the introduction of these characters, I actually stopped the movie and I looked at the time and I was like, "Oh, we're thirty minutes in and we're introducing new characters. Really, movie? This is what we're doing." Um, of course, I was foolish because. <laughs> New characters would mean that there has to be characters to begin with, and also once again, these these guys don't live. This crew doesn't live very long. No. So what they, if they serve a purpose at all, what they're doing is showing that the theater itself, not the movie, is part of the issue. Um, yes. They're on the run from the police, and they find themselves in a sort of dead-end alleyway with the back doors to the theater. The doors open up of their own accord, and we know that that's weird, for one, because it's opening by itself, and two, that the doors on the inside are all walled up. So they escape into the theater, and we know that you can also kind of get out through um, the air ducts, because one of the possessed uh, demon... Uh, goers um, crawls out of the air ducts and uh, eventually like infects the cops that are after um, Ripper and his crew which in turn probably becomes an issue 
um, because now the de- the demons have spread outside of the theater at least to one or two people. That that's I think the point that they basically serve and. Uh, Ripper also serves as a red herring, a red herring demon. Oh, right. Yeah. Because he has a, he has a knife. Um, and he's, he's doing his best to like fend off the, the demon attacks from his, on, against him and his buddies, but it's a switchblade. So you only get so far with that when it's a bunch of demons coming after you suffice to say they all get infected um that part doesn't matter as much his knife does matter it's uh it it like the um well i would that was his knife so he had a knife and also tony had a, a switch yes blade. they both had yes knife. so tony's one doesn't matter as much anymore but rippers does uh and the samurai sword we found um, very early on also has a, a role to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they begin to try to make their escape. That is the four, uh, our four main heroes and pretty much the only people left as people. Uh, unfortunately, Kathy um, gets scratched and she lasts about a minute. Um, yeah. Before she succumbs. Hers is particularly distressing distressing because she doesn't turn into a demon she she births a demon from her spine yes uh which runs off and doesn't really matter it just it's gone it's kind of weird um but not before scratching uh her her erstwhile love interest ken um Technically, it wasn't her love interest. Ken was just interested in her, but uh, Ken gets scratched, and he may have he may last the longest out of anyone um, after having been, well, I guess the second longest after having been scratched, uh, long enough to maintain his sanity, crawl over to the bike that he thought is the coolest in the world, and take the samurai sword from it, and beg George to end him before he's possessed. And George is kind of a wuss, even though he's a large man. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. But he does anyway. Cut, cuts his head off. We think, because it's off screen. Um, yep, Ken does not make it. Kathy does not make it. And then we're left with George and Cheryl. And the weirdest, like, good thing there's gas in this um, prop. It's not a prop motorcycle. It's an actual working uh, dirt bike. And sure there's gas is. in it. It sure does. Yes. And so we spend three minutes of watching George and Cheryl riding up and down the aisles in a fully crowded theater full of demons. Um, George's doing pretty good uh, slicing and dicing action while driving, not getting bit and um, or scratched and moving through very thin aisles um, and hacking up demons this this it's really weird they get out of the theater uh, uh into the lobby and then go back into the theater again to do the same thing it's super weird doesn't seem like a sound choice because you they know you cannot get scratched they, they there's a clear it shows what happens when you get scratched so stop putting yourself in like more harm's way because you don't even have very many clothes on george has like a sleeveless vest thing 
he had Greece. like he had he had like an over buttoned up shirt earlier, yeah, but yeah, lost it, it that. Like he and lost he, that to, to be all and sweaty. And he's just wearing a tank and he's just wearing a tank top underneath yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl has more she's fully like in a long skirt and um blouse. So she has yeah. clothes on. But uh yeah, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's really really I mean it's it's fun. It's fun sequence, but it happens like twice, so it's too much. Uh, they eventually wipe out, um, fend off pretty much most most of the demons, and then we get a helicopter crashing through the roof. It just comes on crashing down. It's super ambiguous. So the helicopter landed on the roof and then eventually caved it in. It was unclear where it felt kind of like it was in the ceiling, but it technically it's on the roof. Yeah, it, so, it um, a lot of the scale in the sequence is off, so it's kind of visually incomprehensible because the cracking that you see and the hole um, that's produced by the helicopter doesn't seem to uh, fit the scale of the helicopter because there's no size reference when when you're looking at it. So it it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a model. It's not they can't drop a helicopter through a roof, uh, right? Or I mean, they they just the set I think just wouldn't accommodate for that. So uh, anyway, the helicopter comes crashing down. There's two dead pilots in it. Um, they've been scalped. I it doesn't matter that they're dead. They're not demonized. They've been just murdered. I guess. Maybe by each other. We don't know. There's there was no helicopter before. We have now. There's no. It's just here now. Yep. <laughs> uh, and we do get a great fun set piece with it though, because it it's landed like kind. It's not on its side, but it's on a cant, where the rotors are diagonally placed. Um, one's higher up in the air and one's closer to the ground. Uh, they use this to good effect because randomly George can hotwire it or something. I don't know. He turns on the blades, but it's not enough to make it fly. It's just enough to like get it to spin and it lawnmowers um, multiple demons that are chasing them for like two seconds. It, it's just enough to get it to do like two or three rotations at a reasonably quick speed. But since it's a giant rotor that apparently has been sharpened, these are a metal, um, it, it dices them. Uh, and there is a harpoon gun. A, a grappling hook harpoon. <laughs> yeah. It's not a little one, it's a big one. Like It nope. looks like it's going to be a rocket launcher, but it's in fact something to fire large barbed harpoons. Uh, and I guess this must have been like a rescue helicopter because it has like a winch on it. Yes. I don't... I wasn't looking too closely at the helicopter. But anyway, there's a winch they attach to the harpoon, um, and they climb out the hole. They climb out of the hole and run back into everyone's favorite boy, the one-off, we thought, uh, promoter um, for the theater, who's 
possessed by the mask. We think we originally you think it's just some prosthetics, but apparently he has a mask fused to his face and he's yeah. now a demon. Or he was just wearing a mask prosthetic and also became a demon. Uh, we don't we don't know. Um, he tries to kick George back down the the giant hole that would kill him if he fell. Uh, they they eventually dispense with him by smooshing him onto bits of rebar from the roof. Uh, <laughs> the, the demon guy, not George. And um, they can look out across the city and see that there's a problem. Um, the whole place is just gone up in the manner in the, in the matter of like the last hour that they've been in the theater. Yeah, they also get chased by demons because that that demon infection it spread really fast. Yep. I mean, you you get scratched and you're a demon, so yeah, it would spread really fast. Uh, and there's no apparent upper limit to it. There's as many demons as there are stars in the sky, so you're just going to be. It's just going to all end. Uh, they they find, um, or I guess a jeep finds them. It's a older father and his two. One's a teenage child and one's a child child. Child-sized yep. child, uh, and they all make their way out of the city. Um, the the I don't know was he like ten, nine or ten years old kid? Oh loves, yeah, definitely. He loves donuts and shotguns. Um, he's like this is like the most I want to see a movie with him, like throughout the end of this because he just like blase blasts things with a shotgun and it's like hitting everything. Yeah, he's just eating donuts, just chilling. It's it's good. This is probably my favorite character, even though he has like two seconds of movie time. Yeah, he is the this the shotgun kid is 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 not utilized nearly enough in this film. No, but at least he's he's done, it's just enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they they drive off into the into the night to find, um some place in the countryside where they can start life over uh, because that's what you do immediately an hour into a, a epidemic of demonic proportions. Um, you get out of Dodge and they're, they're going to do that. Uh, the credits roll and we're done. Or are we? Because Cheryl was r- randomly scratched somewhere along the way. We don't know when it's got her in the neck beneath all of her hair. Cause she had a lot of hair. Uh, and she immediately turns into a demon. Like, we don't yep. get any time. There's just... Randomly her kind of looking like she's just tired because she's been running. And then she turns and we get the the shock of demon face. Last two seconds because um, Shotgun Kid just blasts her. Yep. Uh, and George is just kind of... Oh, we, we skipped oh. the most important part. Um... So George was was scratched um, in the middle of all this bike riding because he doesn't have barely any clothes on and he's riding a bike in the middle of demons. Uh, and you're going like, okay, so he's gonna he's gonna tell someone to kill him or he's gonna like leave her behind or um, like help her escape and then leave himself behind. Uh, no, because in fact he was cut by um, Ripper's knife, so. It wasn't a direct uh, wounding. It was an indirect one, which um, you can survive. Uh, 
provided it got you in the arm as it did. There's no transference via third slime or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third you can, party you can, get hit, you can get hit with a weapon, just not an actual yes. demon hand or fang or anything. Um, but it's it's a nice, um, very quick moment that if you didn't realize what happened, you're just kind of left wondering why didn't he transform into a demon and why did the people not immediately shoot him when they realized that's all it took was a high risk, like visible wound. Um, however, they just instinct instinctively saw that it was a very clean cut and not a demon claw rip. Yeah, I, not I a, don't know. Not a tearing wound. Yeah. Shotgun kids on the ball though. He, he knew it was, it was clean. <laughs> he could, he could sense it with his, his donut sensing powers. I don't know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Yeah, that part was a little weird. I figured they would have just immediately not let them under the the vehicle when they were visibly wounded. But, yep, credits roll. So we find that demons are a horrifying force. Um, they're all around us. The world is immediately infected by them. There is no end to them, and there is no hope. Uh, thankfully, they made a sequel to this, which we did not have the... I did not have the chance to watch it, but... Um, uh, well, I've seen it before, but uh, watching it for this, we did not have the time to do. It will fall onto maybe another episode, because if I recall correctly, I found Demons 2 to be the superior of the Demons films. So we'll uh, we'll have to see if, if that holds up um, after the many years it's been since I've seen it. But everyone loves Demons in an apartment building. Because <laughs> that's what these <clears throat> two will be when we get to it. Of, of course, it will. Yep. And that was demons. That was demons from nineteen eighty-five. It, it, it is. It is eighty. It is eighty-five. It is very Italian. Uh, your mileage may vary. It was entertaining. Mileage, yes. Your mileage will vary, I think, on this, but um, I recommend it if you enjoy watching really good prosthetics. Yes, and agreed. Crazy gore because you get a little bit of a little bit of a, a little bit of b, and it's just it's it's fun. It's a fun film. It just moves a little slow. Yeah, I agree. But that brings us that brings us to the main attraction, uh, more Legardi. For everyone. Yes, this is the tale of Nethiscurial. Uh, and it's split into smaller... It's a short story. It's split into smaller chapters. The first one is The Idol and the Island. Um, I'll let you kind of take this one a little bit, since I, I did the larger portion of what we just covered. Uh, I have some notes on this. Again, it's it's brief... Uh, and it's, it's, um, thematically adjacent to what we just watched. Um, yes. that's what we do. We pick things that work together well, even if this was actually kind of by happy coincidence. But, uh, yeah. So tell us about Nethiscurial, Leonard. Yes. Nethiscurial is, uh, as you mentioned before, 
uh, ties in thematically with demons um, in an interesting way in that it is an account of an account. Uh, We are once again uh, presented with an unnamed narrator recalling uh, an old manuscript page, which, uh, ironically enough, is actually on the verge of falling apart, thus placing placing Nefiscarial slightly above demons as opposed uh, in in terms of realism of of, of ancient paperwork. Um, involving uh, a uh, a uh, certain Bartholomew Gray and a Dr. N. Uh, and and the discovery of a fragment of a an ancient artifact on an island that uh where all of the ground uh flora they do they ever mention any actually like living animal life on the island dave i don't believe they do they do not it's it is just the um the natural or unnatural landscape um, trees, rocks, that sort of thing. Everything has been sort of twisted into terrible ways. Um, I'll pull this quote that I already have from just this little little bit because we're getting the the manuscript. We're getting narrated um, uh, from uh, Mister uh, Mister Gray. Yes, the uh... yes, the manuscript yes. that that the unnamed narrator who yes. is calling the story yeah. is he's, he's taken the time to write his thoughts about this manuscript that he found yes um, so here here we go from the moment mr gray begins describing the island a sudden glamour enters enters into his account that sinister enchantment which derives from a profound evil that is kept just at just the right distance from us so that we may experience both our love and our fear of it in one sweeping sensation too close, and we be and we may be reminded of an omnipresent evil in the living world, and threatened with having our sleeping sense of doom awakened into full vigor. Too far away, and we become even more incurious and complacent than is our usual state, and ultimately exasperated when an imaginary evil is so poorly evoked that it fails to offer the faintest echo of its real and all-pervasive counterpart. That's a really good quote. I also I also highlighted that quote because it's good. <laughs> it's real good. Yep. Um so uh it it it's it's actually um interesting because the the manuscript um is uh the account of the manuscript is incredibly truncated um on, on purpose. Yes. Um, but I, 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 I spent a, 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 an amount of time while reading this, trying to ascertain whether or not he, uh, our unnamed narrator thought that this was perhaps a work of fiction or was actually commenting on it as like a historic account. I, I, I found myself having trouble telling that. Because I, I think that comes into play because the narrator himself was trying to decide that. 
okay. So it, so the vague, the fuzziness that I was experiencing with that seems like it was deliberate. Because yeah, it's, it's intentional. Okay, that that's good to know because I I did I get, went over this a couple of times and I was like I can't tell if this guy thinks that that this is real or fake. Um, anyway, the uh, account uh, uh, then proceed or the narrator then proceeds to tell us that. Uh, Mr. Gray was in fact a member of a cult uh, that had been looking for uh, pieces of this idol uh, to the this this god that was once worshipped, no, known as Nephiscurial, um, and that um, the unfortunate Doctor N was a necessary component in this ritual uh, uh, to re- reunite the pieces, which apparently had been scattered uh, all over the world. And uh, Dr. N was needed as a certain type of sacrifice. Uh, yes. However, um, we then jump forward even further where uh, Mr. Gray has now lamented the part that he has played uh, in, in in this this ritual, and then uh, while leaving the I, uh, the island, proceeds to dump the pieces of the idol into the ocean, hopefully uh, keeping it out of the hands of his his fellow cultists. Yes. Um, I'll jump back slightly and pull a quote, and it's probably not the one you think I'm, that you would consider the one that I would grab. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can imagine the one you think I was going to get, but I did not. So this is a, a summarization of the of sort of the events of the, the cultist. Um, at some point in their career as worshippers of the Great One God, a shadow fell upon the sect. It appears that one day it was re- revealed to them in manner both obscure and hideous that the power to which they bowed was essentially evil in character, and that their religious mode of pantheism was in truth a kind of pandemonism. But this revelation was not a surprise to all of the sectarians, since there seemed to have been an interesting... Um, uh, Interesting struggle, which ended in slaughter. In any case, the anti-demonists prevailed, and they immediately rechristened their ex-deity to reflect its new, uh, newly discovered essence in evil, and the name by which they henceforth called it was Nethiscurial. And all of the islands, which all the separated pieces of the idol uh, were also called Nethiscurial in whatever local um, tongue or approximation of it uh was to be found so that's what sort of helped um mr gray locate all these pieces uh, he'd come with a fat little satchel and in that bag were all of the other ones um that he had found and dr N, or, uh, mr n dr n no. uh, dr n was in possession of the last and final piece needed to uh, reassemble the idol um yes so that it ends the manuscript um with the account of uh, mr gray having dumped all the stuff into the ocean and now uh, we are sort of in the present with our own narrator outside of the manuscript and he he this is where um 
he calls into question like the veracity of it. Um, the incidents in the manuscript are clumsily developed, important details lack proper, proper emphasis, and impossible things are thrown at the reader without any real effort at persuasion of their veracity, which is how he's also presenting this to us. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I do admire the fantastic principle at the core of this piece. The nature of that pandemonic entity is very intriguing. Uh, imagine all of the creation as a mere mask for the foulest evil, an absolute evil whose reality is only mitigated, uh, or whose reality is mitigated only by our blindness, blindness to it, an evil at the heart of things, existing inside each star and the voids between them, within blood and bone through all souls and spirits and so forth, because that is the uh, credo, the mantra of this cult. It goes a little bit longer, but that's the essence of it. Uh, and yes. he talks about a relationship between Nethiscurial and the Australian um, uh, dreaming, Dreamtime uh, Alcara of the Australian Aborigines, which I think we've discussed previously on another episode. Um, as a matter of fact, it is something that occurred within the wonderfully excellent piece of cinema known as Howling 3, um, the marsupials, which I had the fortune of watching many, <laughs> many, many moons ago. Um, yes, so the dreaming or that dreamscape is something that's ever-present and beyond our own reality and kind of informs everything in this one, uh, which is the idea behind Nethiscurial, is that it is an omnipresent, it is everywhere and within everything and between everything, and it cannot be, um, it cannot be escaped, um, because it is inside of you, dear reader. And that's where the narrator kind of starts to take things. Yes, um, one thing uh, that is of note is that uh, uh, a lot of emphasis on a, a dark, sickly green color is is placed uh, throughout this story. Um, it is the color of the ink in the manuscript. There is mention of it um, <clears throat> uh, briefly um, during the postscript uh yes and uh, the the bit right before postscript and this power emanates not so much from within the tale as it does from somewhere behind it some place of infinite darkness and ubiquitous malignity in which we may walk unaware but never mind these night thoughts it's only to bed that i will walk after closing this letter uh this also may be one of my favorite narrators mm -hmm. because he's very real about everything. He's, he's very matter of fact. Um, and he's like, he's pompous, but yes, still likable. Like it's a weird combination of like, a, um, he, he's a jerk, but he's aware of it. Yeah. Like he's not like flaunting it really. In as much as he's just matter-of-factly stating things, but in a weird braggadocio kind of way. Yeah, he he the the narrator um, clearly thinks that he he is is some authority or has some um, very valid opinion on on writing, and 
it really shows in like the way that he comments on on the manuscript it's it's once again going back to uh to it being indistinct whether he believes it's fiction or a real account um really kind of is hammered home by the way that he responds to it because he if it is fiction then he considers it to be poorly written fiction because there it's missing accounts and and not enough emphasis is placed on things and it he kind of holds that same standard if it's if it's an actual historical account because once again the the important information that any reader would want is is missing from from that account or is being deliberately obfuscated by the narrator by just skipping over it yes and we find that that goes double because he's done the same thing to us yes um because uh after after his initial letter uh or note uh, the narrator apparently uh, awakens from his slumber and uh, uh, recounts a nightmare that he had. Yes, that he had just woken from. But I think the the bits that we're drawing on, he he is more succinct um, on within this opening paragraph of postscript. So he's letting us know it's later that same night because we're we're getting this all in his manuscript that we're reading. Right. Several hours have passed since I set down, set down the above description and the analysis of that manuscript. So all the things he's been telling us. How naive those words of mine now sound to me, and yet they are still true enough from a certain perspective. But that perspective was a privileged one, which, at least for the moment, I do not enjoy. This is, I think, why... I can enjoy him as a narrator is because he's, he's giving us this like pompous know-it-all introduction. Yes. But he's taking the time to deconstruct things. And then he comes back and says, actually that was probably wrong. Um, and if, as it feels, these things are true, then uh, I've screwed up. Yeah. Everything's wrong. So, because he's taken ownership of that and because he's like sort of apologizing for being a jerk mm-hmm. and being a high high handed uh, that makes him more relatable like that's a more uh it's a good trait to see is you you really don't often see anyone apologizing for a way they were behaving as a narrator yeah. like that's yes. this is novel like it's a, a thing that i i can't think of happening so if someone's going to be unreliable, at least they're letting you know that they're going to be unreliable. Yeah, that's 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 you a, can appreciate it, I think. Right. Yeah. Um. And and it's also kind of a helpful way of 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 maybe help uh, uh influencing the reader to um take what they say slightly more seriously only because they themselves are aware that they might not be correct. Yeah. There's a legitimacy, there's a legitimate er, uh, earnestness to what they're saying when they admit that what they are saying may not be 100% accurate. Yes. 
and and by virtue of that recouching everything in a new frame like they're they're creating a new frame of reference for something uh that while it still may not be 100% correct uh is upon reflection possibly more correct than what they were giving us earlier it's a tough line to like walk i think and this is this is doing it quite well agreed um so our narrator um recounts his dream uh it, the part of the dream is the revelation that uh islands all over the world uh once again in their uh uh regional dialects have uh been named Nethiscurial, the uh pieces of the idol uh located there uh, all of the all of the the islands that the idol touched are are bizarre and misshapen and then uh his nightmare changes to a uh places him within a room of of an odd construction the room is shaped like a pyramid like a perfect pyramid uh with two lamps uh an altar and an object between the altar the object is the idol however the narrator notes that it, it that he is unable to um visualize it properly it is uh, it is indistinct and ever shifting he cannot get a read on it um that that is a really really good uh piece here let me actually just read well <clears throat> The maps dissolved into a kind of mist. The desk before me became something else. An altar of coarse stone. And the two lamps upon it flared up to reveal a strange object now positioned between them. So many visions in the dream were, uh, were piercingly clear. But this, ob this dark object was not. My impression was that it conglomerated in form suggesting a monstrous whole. At the same time, these outlines, which alluded to both man and beast, flower and insect, reptiles, stones, and countless things I could not even name, all seemed to be changing, mingling in a thousand ways that prevented any sensible image of the idol. Indicating that the idol is a uh, represent, is an at Accurate representation of Nethiscurial, since Nethiscurial is essentially all things, and mm -hmm. and and all things things are intrinsically by extension. Yes. Uh, there's also a a procession um, heading to the altar. These figures, um, they seem to be actually bound in blackness from head to foot, with only their faces exposed. But they were not, in fact, faces. They were pale, expressionless, and identical masks. The masks were without openings and bestowed upon their wearers a terrible anonymity, an ancient anonymity. Behind these smooth and barely contoured faces were spirits beyond all hope or consolation, except in the evil to which they would willingly abandon themselves. Yet this abandonment was also highly selective, a ceremony of the chosen. 
and one of them eventually uh, is sacrificed to the idol uh, and is transfigured into uh, the shape of a doll or a puppet, as the case might be, and then cut open and filled with a bleeding sort of, I think it's unnamed, but it's I think it's that same green, greenish-black um, color that um, soon subsumes the, the, the world. Um, which, uh, once again, uh, it, this also feels like it could have been a fairly decent companion piece for uh, last week's episode on In the Mouth of Madness and yes. <laughs> Lord of Illusions. Uh, because when I read this uh, this section about the colors subsuming everything, I just thought, did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue? Yes, that's that's immediately the reference I also <laughs> made in my mind. Um, it's it's very good, uh, and the everything the landscape has um, been that may have once been stone earth and trees has now been transformed into a something akin to a petrified lichen uh and it kind of goes on to talk about everything just there's no way to escape it it's within everything even my own flesh says the narrator um I pulled another another quote here. I suppose it is nothing unusual that I continued to be under this visionary spell even after I left my bed. I tried to, I like this part in most particular. I tried to invoke the gods of the ordinary world, calling them with the whistle of a coffee pot and praying before their icon of the electric light. But they were too weak to deliver me from that other whose name I can no longer bring myself to write. It seemed to be in possession of my house, of every common object inside, and the whole of the dark world outside. Yes, lurking among the watchful winds of this and the several worlds, everything seemed to be a manifestation of this evil, and to my eyes was taking on its aspect. I could feel it also, emerging in myself, growing stronger behind this living face that I am afraid to confront in the mirror. And then he goes on to say that um, that that sort of feeling is kind of beginning to fade. Um, he can sort of bear the sight of things um, as as the night turns to day, uh, but but that um, that may not be enough because we we are left with the puppets in the park as the the denouement of this tale. Yes, uh, where the narrator, uh, yes, he is, he is writing this down. Uh, the narrator chronicles his visit to a local park, uh, well, a park that is some distance from his house, um, where, uh, he stumbles a, upon a good old-fashioned Punch and Judy-esque puppet show, um, with an audience, I forget, is, 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 is the lighting for, like, the outside, not the stage lighting, uh, already, uh, lit with that greenish hue, or does that come? I think it, be, it's, it, it is, but it's not, um, he's not recognizing it for that at first. 
until okay. until the puppets. Right. Um the puppet show proceeds as 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 you would expect until the puppets suddenly stop uh and stare straight at the narrator looking uh with uh into his soul with their puppet eyes. Uh he breaks con- eye contact with them long enough to realize that the audience too has has also turned their entire attention to him and him alone. Does he just run? Forget how he how he exits. Um, yes. Day. Well, he doesn't run. He just backed up um, out of there and stumbled home. The green, the, the greenish darkness of the night. So everything has been wrong um he had he's been he, he we can guess that he's sort of becoming emaciated because he can't eat anything anymore um mostly because it's vile and disgusting to look at that scream screaming squirming greenish blackness within everything like he can see it in the food and everything so he can't eat the food because it looks like that so he's slowly kind of wasting away um but yes, he he has gone. He's made his way back home, um, and decides the the cure to this. Uh, just as in our our film, we just watched the cure to this is to uh, destroy the offending thing, destroy the projector, um, and in this case, it's the manuscript that was tainted with that black greenish black ink. So if he burns it, uh, everything should be set right. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really work out for him. Uh, he he burns it, and uh, the manuscript produces a greenish black uh, smoke that does not rise from his chimney, but only uh, hovers in the hearth. He he notes that he also notes that. Uh, his pin appears to be uh, growing smaller. That some vital essence of his being seems to be uh, is is being removed and replaced with something else. And then is is the end like the in two paragraphs of of the story the narrator desperately trying to convince himself that what he is saying is true i don't know i'll read it and we'll find out <laughs> see there's no shape in that fireplace the smoke is gone gone up the chimney and out into the sky there's nothing in the sky, nothing I can see through the window. There's the moon, of course, high and round, but no shadow falls across the moon. No churning chaos of smoke that chokes the frail order of the earth. It's not a squirming, creeping, smearing shape I see upon the moon. Not the shape of a giant deformed or a great deformed crab scuttling out of black oceans of infinity invading the island of the moon, crawling with its innumerable bodies upon all the spinning islands of space. That shape is not the cancerous totality of all creatures, not the oozing ichor that flows within all things. Nethiscurial is not the secret name of creation. It is not amid the rooms of our houses and beyond their walls, beneath dark waters and across moonlit skies, below earth mound and above earth mountain peak. 
in northern leaf and southern flower, inside each star and the voids between them, within blood and bone, throughout all souls and spirits, upon the watchful winds of this and several worlds, behind the faces of the living and the dead. I am not dying in a nightmare. Uh, no, he's being undone. Everything is ended. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, one of the revelations is that, uh, uh, by, by one Mr. Gray, uh, writing, documenting the, the events, uh, of, of his attempt to acquire the final piece of the idol. He has uh, essentially transferred Nethiscarial to the page. It has become a a, a vector for, a transmission, for yeah. transmission. And in in recording that and writing it down again, our our narrator has done the same thing. And now we've just read it. So, yep. Hey, we're saved because it's that. a digital copy and not the actual manuscript. Oh yeah, there we go. That that's it. Yep, <laughs> yep. And that's Nethiscarial, and that is the final story from uh, Voices of the Damned. Voice of the Damned. Voice of the Damned. Yes. And so next time we will cover the voice of the demon, which huh. is entirely also too topical. So we'll <laughs> we'll we'll check out those and see which of these stories um, we will cover at the time, and maybe take a look at demons too. It just kind of all depends on how it falls out. But yes, yes, that will be the show for today. We'll yes. Things up as usual. Yes, this is the this is the the time of admin, and for admin's sake, Dave, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. It will be in the notes as usual. And yourself, Leonard. People can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead, and people can also find my video essay work on YouTube by also searching Dr. Faust is Dead. And uh, people can find our, our, our good boy Cameron at Knight underscore Twitten. Uh, that is Knight without a K, right? Yes. If you want to check up what, on what he is doing in Australia, yes, uh, you can find the podcast at mon underscore d monster, or alternatively, all of the back episodes uh, and some really old blog posts with some book reviews uh, are on mon- um, monsterdeer dot monster and not dot com. Because we're yeah. Really <laughs> uh, so from Dave and myself, we wish you a good day and hope you will join us for the next episode of Monster, Dear Monster. Bye. Pleasant, pleasant dreams out there. Stay safe. Uh, you can also look forward to 
as I tack this on, uh, a guest episode in our near future. We we will have that. We're aligning things. Um, and yes, so the first guest of 2020 and the first guest in about a year. Um, if you're interested in <laughs> swinging by the show and, and talking with us, uh, let us know. Um, yes. Give us a DM we- on Twitter. We We love to have guests on the show just it's just been a little while we're very lonely come see us give us a review yeah. <laughs> send us mail send us mail yep it could be it could be negative we'll take anything at this point uh <laughs> yes so that is us bidding you adieu and we will see you next time on monster dear monster bye-bye y'all. <laughs>